Yes, good morning, May. Uh, I welcome you all to Craigavon Baptist this Sunday morning. It's great to see you all back out here again this Sunday. And to those who are maybe watching at home, uh, good morning to you as well. And hope you uh, find blessings through our, our service. As we begin, I want to read a few words um, <clears throat> from Micah. I read this on Thursday night at the prayer meeting. Um, Micah 7, verses 18 to 20, just to, to read about our great God that we come and we worship this, this Lord's Day. Um, the Lord we praise. So Micah 7, verse 18 to 20, we read this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions from the remnants of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. We praise and we worship this great God this morning, a God who is faithful, a God who is loving, who forgives sins, who is slow to anger, and who cares immensely for each one of us, his people. And so as we, we begin our service, let's come before that, that great and awesome God in prayer through, through, our, um, through our, our Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray here. Lord, we praise and thank you that you are truly a good, good God. A God who loves, a God who cares for your people. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your perfection. God, we praise you for the relationship that we can have with you that allows us to call you Father. Because of Jesus, we praise you for sins forgiven, mercy shown, and grace given to us. Father, we thank you for gathering us here once again this Sunday morning. We thank you for your protection over the past week. May we worship you today in truth. God, as we open your word, as we seek to learn from you, help us to understand Help us to apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. May we all be built up for your kingdom, for your glory. We pray that the Holy Spirit will renew our hearts with enthusiasm for you, God, and for affection for Christ and love for others. God, we we ask that you will truly bless this time that we spend together in your presence. We pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be reading from 20, verses 27 to 30 in just a minute. But imagine this. Imagine you are hosting a neighborhood, <clears throat> a neighborhood dinner. Maybe sometime over the weekend. And you ask your neighbors to come along and in gathers. Sitting around your table, you have a Mormon, a Muslim, a Jehovah Witness your next-door neighbor, and you. This isn't the sort of a joke, by the way, in case that's what you're thinking. The, the after-dinner conversation has turned from politics on to religion. And this question comes up about Jesus. Who is this man? The Mormon is first to speak. He says this, Let me tell you who Jesus was. He was the firstborn child of Elohim. He was the product of a very physical union between the Father God and the Virgin Mary. Don't look so shocked for a time God and Mary were actually husband and wife. And as any married couple would, they can see the child, Jesus. And the good news is, if you work really hard, 
we too can become sons of God in the same sense that Jesus is. The Muslim protests, no, no, we're all wrong. Jesus is just like Moses or Abraham or just like Isaiah, one of the prophets. He was a prophet of God and he wasn't God himself. In fact, he wasn't even the most important prophet. Muhammad, who lived 500 years after Jesus, he was the greatest prophet of all time. And besides, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He was rescued by God and he was carried to a safe place in the heavens. And since there was no death, there was no atonement for sin. Since there was no death, there was no resurrection either. The Jehovah Witness, he can no longer hold his peace. You're both completely wrong. Prior to his coming to earth, Jesus was Archangel Michael. He's only, uh, he's only a creature. He's the first product of Jehovah God's creative work. When he was born of the Virgin Mary, he, he got rid of his spiritual angelic nature and became holy and exclusively a man. Jesus is not God. And so your next door neighbor now sitting there a bit confused, a bit blown away by, <clears throat> by all this and says this, I thought Jesus was just a good old boy who told us to love everyone and to be nice. It's too bad that he ended up getting killed. But as long as we all believe in God, surely it doesn't matter. Is it really worth starting a neighborhood feud over? And so you're sitting there, sipping your coffee nervously while they all are fighting about who Jesus is, and they turn to you and they ask you, what do you think? Who is Jesus to you? Well, we're going to find out... um, the truth about Jesus today. As I I said, we're going to read from Mark 27 to 30, but before I read that, let me give you a bit of context to these verses. The the story in Mark's gospel is reaching a climax. It's like a crescendo. It's, It's building. It's ascending this narrative about Jesus. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's teaching these incredible things. The, the, the narrative goes up and up and up until these verses, this aggravation that we will read from Peter. Mark, the author, is building a story. He's, un, he's unwinding more and more of this narrative, revealing more and more about the identity of Jesus. From the, the beginning of the gospel, Mark makes this clear who Jesus is. He says that Jesus is the Son of God. So there's no confusion there. It's like Mark is spoiling a, the ending of a good movie before it's even started. But the way in which Mark writes this gospel is he presents, this is who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Now let me show you. Let me show you who he is. Jesus has previously shown his power and his authority as God. Through the verses previous in chapter 8, 1 to 10, he does the miracle. In his teaching, 11 to 21, and in healing, the verses just before this, 22 to 26. And now comes this open confession, the first time in the Gospel of of Mark, of Jesus' identity from Peter. And so my deep prayer today for each of us as we look at these verses is that each one of us will truly see Jesus for who he is today. Truly see him for who he is. I pray that if life at the minute has got you cold to the Gospel, that Jesus doesn't thrill your heart like he should do. That as we look at his character, as we look at his, his work, the amazing personhood of Christ, that you'll be filled afresh with awe and with amazement 
on the love of Jesus. So let's get to this passage then in Mark 8. Mark 8, verses 27 to 30. We read this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Amen. The Lord blesses the reading of his word. So I have two simple points that you can all remember and take home with you. It's the wrong answer and the right answer. Simple as that. So let's look at the wrong answer in these verses 27 to 28. So after all these miracles, all these wonderful signs that Jesus has just performed, he asks his disciples this question, who do people say that I am? I wonder if you went round asking your friends and your, your family members, who do people say that I am? What do people think of me? Probably look at you and say, this guy loves himself. Or why does he think he's so important that everyone's thinking about him? But in fact, what we think of Jesus is of uppermost importance to each one of us. And often Jesus would use a question to lead into a new line of teaching. And the purpose of this one, of asking them, who do people say I am, was then to get on to a very personal question to the disciples, who do you say that I am, in verse 29. But firstly, the the response of the disciples is not great, is it? Jesus is compared to John the Baptist, Elijah, and other prophets. It was clear from their reaction that Jesus was a messenger from God. He was a prophet. He was just a man. Jesus was was no different than any other man. And and stating that Jesus was a prophet from the Old Testament means that Jesus was no different from anyone else. He was nothing special. He was another messenger. Each opinion that they give, it actually robs Jesus of his true identity and his role in salvation. Because in fact, John the Baptist and all the prophets that lived before Jesus, what they were actually doing was pointing to Jesus. That was their job. Mark makes this clear, like I said, from the outset of his gospel. If you flick back to chapter 1, we read the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The people during this time were comparing Jesus to a prophet, missing the very fact that each prophet was actually pointing to Jesus. Moses was one of the first to tell, um, to foretell Jesus' coming. In Deuteronomy 18, he says how God would raise up a prophet like me. And yet we read in Hebrews that Jesus would be a greater Moses. You see, Jesus had a very particular role to fill. Because Jesus would fulfill every prophecy given in the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. Over 300 prophecies. And Jesus fulfills every single one of them. To put that into perspective, if I covered all of the UK and Ireland in 2p coins at a foot in height, if I covered all the UK and Ireland in 2p coins, one foot in height, and I dropped, randomly dropped a one pound coin in amongst all those 2p's, someone did the maths, I think it was dad, Um, (laughs) 
And I blindfolded someone and I told them they could go anywhere in the UK and Ireland and bend over and try to pick up that one pound coin. The probability or the chance of that happening is the same chance of one person fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus fulfills every single one of them. Of course, we don't have time to look through every single prophecy. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, But just to point out a few key passages, one of them is Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah, one of the prophets that the people were comparing Jesus to, missing the very fact that Isaiah was really pointing to Jesus. But we read this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Sound familiar? This prophecy was given a massive 700 years before Jesus' birth. And it gets everything exactly right. This verse is pretty much quoted then in Matthew 1, 23. A virgin would bear a son, and that son would be called Emmanuel. And I'm sure most of us know what Emmanuel means. God with us. Micah 5, 2 predicts the, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Psalm 91 verses 10 to 12 predicts the Messiah being tempted by Satan. Zechariah predicts the Messiah to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. And Isaiah 53 depicts the Messiah suffering for our wrongdoings. I could go on. The Old Testament gets it right every time in Jesus' life. Jesus was this promised one. The people during the time, they didn't understand. They couldn't quite grasp that they saw Jesus as just another prophet. One more person to talk about God. Instead, he did do that, but far, far more. He exceeded their expectations. How do we know this? Well, even John the Baptist, who people were comparing Jesus to, they thought that um, Jesus was, was perhaps John the Baptist reincarnated. Even he believed that Jesus was far greater than anyone else. Back in Mark 1, verse 7, John the Baptist had this to say. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John the Baptist is basically saying that someone's going to come, and this man is going to be so great, so important, so mighty, that I'm not even worthy to to bend down and untie his very laces. That's how great this, this person is. People thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, but Jesus was far, far beyond that. Why? How? How could this be? Well, we'll read on and we'll see what what Peter has to say with the right answer in verses 29 through to 30. Peter, of course, was one of the disciples. I'm sure you know of him. He was a fisherman that Jesus called to follow him. Peter is a fiery character who often gets himself into quite a bit of bother. You probably know him as the guy who chops off ears and denies Jesus. But here we see that Peter actually gets it right. Jesus, Jesus then turns to his disciples as we read and he asks them personally, who do you say that I am? Previously in Mark's gospel, the disciples have simply referred to Jesus as teacher, like a rabbi would. But Peter, being Peter, was first to respond and he shouts out, shouts out this most incredible, brilliant answer. He says, you are the Christ. Here we see a strong distinction between those who were blinded and thought of Jesus as a prophet, as a mere man, and those who had 
who Jesus had chosen in grace to be with him and reveal the truth. Because Peter clearly and unmistakably understood Jesus to be the Christ. Like I said previously, disciples, they've had trouble understanding the identity of Jesus. Previously, they, um, on a previous occasion in Mark 4, verse 41, Jesus shows his power and his authority over the weather as he calms a storm. And after this happens, the disciples, they're astonished, they're unable to grasp this. And they just ask in amazement, who is this man? And yet now it seems that Peter understands. We read more of Jesus' response to Peter over in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 16, verses 17 to 19, where he turns to Peter and he says, Blessed are you. For Jesus was so much more than just a prophet, but he was the Christ. And what's significant about this is that this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, it took place in Caesarea Philippi, as we read in verse 27. This area was, was dominated by a strong Roman rule. The, the new city, in fact, was actually named in honor of Caesar himself. And so this region was devoted to one thing, to affirming that Caesar is Lord. He is the, the emperor, and at that time, the emperor was pretty much a god. And to say otherwise, well, that would be treason. And therefore, it's significant that it's in this place that Peter confesses, confesses, no, Caesar, you're not Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the Christ. You are the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. But what does this mean, though? This word Christ. What is the Christ? Well, Christ translates to anointed one, promised one, the Messiah, the deliverer. It was a particular term that came out of the Old Testament. It it implies like a divine election or anointment on someone for a task. It was done in the Old Testament to symbolize service to God for like a prophet or a priest or a king. They would be anointed with oil, symbolizing they were set apart for service to God. And so this expectation that there's going to be a future Messiah, a future anointed king, was grounded in the Old Testament. It was grounded in this kingship. In the line of David. If you want to flick over to 1 Samuel 7. First Samuel 7. And verses 12 to 13. We read this. When your days are fulfilled. Talking to David. King David at this time. When your days are fulfilled. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This expectation that there is going to be a future king. And his kingdom will not just die away like David's did. But it will be everlasting. This was the expectation of the Messiah, of the Christ. And so this title, it held so much weight to it. I hope you can see that. The heaviness that this meant. And so when Peter confesses, he, he says that Jesus, you are Christ. He's attributing kingship to Jesus. He's recognizing him as God's appointed agent who was sent by God to fulfill redemptive history. In simple terms, Peter was saying, Jesus, you're sent to this earth 
to save us. The Jews especially, they were waiting for a Messiah. The Jews, they were, they were waiting for years, and they're still waiting today for this Messiah to rise up and to deliver them. That's why it's so shocking that Peter could declare this of Jesus. But the only thing was they were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for, for a king who would come up and who would drive out the Romans who had taken over their lands. They were looking for a great military leader so they could get their land back. But Jesus was not going to be the Messiah in their sense. He would fulfill all the prophets, but in a much more impressive and impactful way. And also the Jews, they never thought that the Messiah would be God himself. In John 1 verse 14, another gospel written of Jesus, we read, And the word, the word is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. John um, writing that Jesus was God. But yeah, he took on human form and came to this earth. This is the one who John the Baptist was preparing a way for. God himself. Jesus was so much more than anyone ever expected. For he was fully God and yet fully man. Jesus had always been. Jesus was never created. In fact, Jesus created everything. We read over in Colossians. Dad was speaking from Colossians last week. We read that that nothing exists without Jesus. That Jesus actually holds all things together. And yet Jesus humbled himself. He, He took on the form of a man. He stepped down into our world while still remaining fully God. He was God and man, two natures in the one. This means that when he lived on this earth, he never once sinned. He was perfect. We sin all the time. We we sin and we sin. We actively disobey our, our creator, our God. We are born with the inclination to rebel against our creator. This is a huge problem. It's a huge issue for each of us. Because our sin separates us from a holy God. God being perfect, being holy, he cannot be near sin. Therefore, as you stand right now, If you're not a Christian, you are sinful. You are separated from a holy God. And this is why Jesus came. To rescue sinners. He came because he knew that we could do nothing for ourselves. He didn't come just not just for the Jews. He didn't come for people living years and years ago. But he came for us right here, right now, today. For you sitting here in Craig Alvin Baptist. We were heading for for death. We were heading for a punishment. And yet Jesus stepped in and he died on the cross. This was the greatest moment in all of history. Jesus dying. Because in dying on the cross, Jesus took on himself the sin, the punishment for sin that you deserved. He bore it himself on the cross. Jesus delivered us from sin. He was our substitute. This is the Christ today. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can can mend that broken relationship between you and God. And so I ask you probably one of the biggest questions of your life. You might think that there's lots more big questions that you must answer. You're thinking, what job am I going to get? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? These big questions that we have. For me, as I head into the final year of college, I get asked the big question, what's the plans for next year? All the time. 
my response is I don't know. We'll see. But this is the most important question that you could ever be asked. The question that Jesus asked his disciples. The purpose of this whole talk. The purpose of this, this passage. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? We know what other people say. There's so many views in, in our, our world today about who Jesus is, even from other religions, as I read at the start. From ordinary people on the streets, they all have their opinion of who Jesus is. We know what our character, uh, Peter, has to say about Jesus. But what about you, personally, right here, right now? Like the disciples, you have to separate yourself from what other people are saying, what the world is saying. You have to think for yourself. Because if he's not your Christ, not your deliverer, not your saviour, then you're in trouble today. I say this out of love. You're in trouble today. Because forgiveness of sin is only found in Jesus. In trusting Jesus, confessing your need for him and your sins before him. C.S. Lewis was famous for writing the Narnia series. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Um, a few weeks back, me and Rianne actually went up to East Belfast to see the C.S. Lewis Square and the wardrobe and the lion, all the sculptures. Very well done. It's brilliant. Um, no, they enjoyed it as well. And of course, East Belfast is looking even better now with a nice trophy. But anyway, that's not the point. C.S. Lewis, um, one of the most famous uh, writers of all time, I would say. And he has the best um, quote on this matter on who is Jesus. He has the best quote on it. C.S. Lewis writes this. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a villain. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. The decision is yours to make. Repent of your sins. Turn to him for forgiveness, for hope spent in heaven with God. How amazing would it be if we could all declare today that Jesus, you are Christ. Jesus, you are Lord. Christians today, I wonder, do you love Jesus? Over lockdown, I spent a lot of my time watching movies. At near the start, I watched probably two movies a day, my favorite pastime. But for my birthday two years ago, Adam got me a scratch map with the top 100 movies of all time. And once you watch it, you get a penny and you can scribble off to say that you've seen that movie. But there's a quote at the very bottom of it that sticks out to me. The quote says this, every great film should seem new every time you see it. Every great film should seem new every time you see it. Sometimes after watching a movie a few times, or maybe even just the one time, it gets boring, it gets repetitive, it gets dull, you're, you're fed up with it. But this should not be the case with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time you hear, every time you think about or you, you read the gospel, it should delight your heart. It should thrill and excite you. As a Christian today, you know that Jesus is the Christ. You know that he has saved you. 
from your sin. But I wonder, have you grown cold? Has lockdown proved very hard for your faith, harder than you might have thought? Jesus is the one who has redeemed you. Jesus is the one who has saved you, given you life, given you hope, given you true joy. Do not forget the gospel. My prayers personally for me is that my, my love for Christ will ever grow, that the cross will never become ordinary. Another story in a book. That Jesus will never become dull and cold to my life. So I ask you, does the gospel thrill and excite your heart today? If not, then why not? Is it an unconfessed sin that's the guilt keeping you from having a good relationship with God? Is it laziness to read the word of God? Is it distractions when you're praying? Whatever it may be, never let Jesus become dull, boring and ordinary because he is our life. He is our our saviour. He's given us salvation, the one who has raised you from dead to life, who has took your sin, who has given you a living hope, a relationship with God, who continues to pray for you on your behalf and continues to sanctify you, who is bringing you right through to home in heaven. This is our God. This is our Christ. Rejoice always in Jesus. I hope and I pray that it doesn't become ordinary, that Jesus doesn't become dull to you. If he does, three quick points that can help you with this. Firstly, put him first in everything. Maybe there's idols in your life. Maybe there's something that's taken the place of Jesus. Put him first. Make Jesus your sole priority in life. Secondly, devote time to praying, to reading the Bible, and to worshiping God. It takes effort sometimes, but it's always worth it. Devote time. Spend your your efforts listening to, to sermons, listening to worship music, getting stuck into the Word of God, that quiet time with Him, praying before Him, to raise your affections for Him. And thirdly, serve Him in loving others. Serve Jesus, serve our God by loving other people in the church and here and also those who are not yet Christians. Three simple things that can help us to to rejoice in Jesus always. So we see this passage that comes to an end with Jesus turning to his disciples and telling them to tell no one about this. You might think that's a bit odd. (laughs) Why would Jesus tell them to be quiet? Surely you want to spread this news to everyone. Well, Jesus' mission on earth, it had to be understood in the light of his suffering and his death. Disciples, they did not yet understand the extent of what Jesus must do. Like I said before, everyone was expecting this political, military Messiah to come and to drive out the Romans. And even Peter was expecting this. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't why Jesus came. And therefore, Jesus did not want his disciples telling everyone that he was the Messiah when they didn't fully understand what that meant. Otherwise, people would have attempted to make Jesus king or even kill him before the appointed time. Peter himself, like I said, he didn't fully understand the extent of what Jesus must do. For in the verses that follow this, if you flick down, as Jesus explains his responsibilities, he explains that the Messiah must suffer and die, 
Peter's response is this. He rebukes them. Peter literally takes Jesus off to the side to tell him off for saying these things. How come? But Peter could only partially see. He could only partially understand. In the previous uh, passage in verses 22 to 26, we read the account of how Jesus heals a blind man. Yet the first time round, Jesus only heals him partially, not completely, only a wee bit. Before the second time, Jesus heals him completely, heals him fully. Because this is important, the way Mark is writing um, his account of, of the gospel. Because it's then replicated in Peter spiritually. He could only partially see. He could only partially see the truth of Jesus' identity. He knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know what he must do. He could only partially see the truth. Because Jesus' purpose was to die. He was a suffering servant from Isaiah 53. Jesus must suffer and die for the sake of sins. And so he turned to them and he warned them, do not tell anyone. Not yet. They would have their time to go and to spread the gospel to everyone. But this wasn't the time yet. And so what does this passage teach us? Well, I hope you see that it's clear that the Bible is one. The Old and the New Testaments tell the same story. They unwind the story, this amazing story of Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah who is then fulfilled in Jesus in the New. And this narrative in particular, it teaches us Jesus is the Christ. And therefore, I ask you again, personally, who is Jesus to you? Was he just another prophet? A good man that talked a lot about God? A character in a storybook? Was he just a swear word? Don't be fooled. Don't be mistaken like the people in Jesus' life were. Jesus was and is far greater than anyone could ever imagine. For he was God himself, the Messiah, the Lord and the King who came to die on a cross for you. The answer to this question, who is Jesus, it will determine the rest of your life and your eternal destiny. And as Christians today, I hope that this reminder of Jesus is refreshing. I hope it fills you with praise and worship and love towards him who sacrificed himself for you. May we all never lose the amazement of Jesus, the glory of God, and the wonder of the cross. Amen. Thank you all for listening.